I was never that kid who knew he wanted to be a scientist from day one. I didn't have that defining, this is what I want moment, ever. My realization was a bit different. As an undergrad, I thought perhaps I'd be a science teacher. I, I did know that I loved science, and that I had some great teachers who I wanted to emulate. And this was reaffirmed by my time as a biomed tech to pay the bills in my freshman and sophomore years in college. But then I had the opportunity to do field work. Granted, it was with plants, and I was more of an animal person, but it was outside for a whole summer, and I thought, this is going to be awesome. It wasn't awesome. I literally had to count the number of leaves and stems on different plants in the blinding sun and the pouring rain and everything in between. Along the way, I lost my immunity to poison ivy, went into debt for the first time in my life, and truly missed my life back uh, in the city where my university was with my friend and partner. But other folks at the field station were having a blast. They weren't working with plants. They were working with herps, uh, frogs, salamanders, turtles. I talked to the professor who suggested that I come back work in his lab in the fall, which I did, and the following summer I was back at the field station, this time working with animals. Small, slimy, sometimes smelly animals, but I loved it. The experience literally changed my life, and I'm using literally in the correct sense there. And while I'm no longer a full-time researcher and my field excursions are limited these days, they're still my favorite part of being a scientist. Everyone has a science story, even, or maybe especially, scientists. Science affects each and every one of us. Well, let's talk about it. From the American Geophysical Union, I'm Shane Hanlon, and this is Sci Intel. Turns out that I love herps, not only because they're animals and all the adorable, but because frogs are experiencing global declines on a scale we haven't seen in recent memory. I found a calling to care about something larger than myself, and I'm delighted today to feature an interview with someone who is not only a champion of science, but also a champion of women in science, and in general, and an advocate for fairness in academia and society. Our interviewer was Allie Wilkinson, and I'll note that this isn't the best quality recording, but I really love this interview, so I hope you will too. My name is Kim Cobb, I'm the Georgia Power Chair and Director of the Global Change Program at the Georgia Institute of Technology, and I'm a paleoclimatologist. So I think my interest in science goes back to when I was a very small child. Um, I really loved observing the natural world. I'm actually, I loved observing everything, <laughs> so uh, I'm just a very keen observer and I, I find great pleasure in trying to put pieces together of the things that I observe happening on our planet and in my environment. So uh, the idea that science allows us to unlock that kind of cause and effect in the things that I observe was always just extremely compelling to me. So what is your favorite part of the work that you do? I mean, the field work for me is by far the, the passion and, and just euphoria that I have when I'm in the field uh, is no, like nothing I've ever experienced, literally. And I've given birth to four children. <laughs> so, so um, you know, the connection that I feel to, to the 
rest of the planet, the connection that I feel is part of the biosphere, such a small little speck trying her best to understand what's going on. Um, it's humbling, it's inspiring, and uh, it, it just has kept me going for, for 20 years, the idea that I could get back in the field. Nowadays, I'm busy in the office a lot, but um, students of mine get to, get to share that passion and, and awaken in them uh, a similar lifelong commitment to understanding these places. And they are also part of a very privileged few who get to go to these places and actually get paid for it. Do you have any favorite memories from working in the field? Oh, a lot. <laughs> My field stories range from absolute nightmares that I can almost laugh at now, <laughs> where there are not lives on the line, to, uh, to moments that, um, you know, I, I remember deep, deep moments of connections with the local people, the places that I work. And it's, I think it's really the latter that, um, that, that cements in my mind over decades of field work is the decades of relationships I've built with those people on the ground. So these are people who I've built a trust with, who understand that I'm not just going to take a rock, publish it, and you know, hasta la vista. I will be coming back and I'll be investing in their communities. I'll be trying to learn as much as I can to extract more value from the precious, priceless rocks that are in their backyards. Um, and so it's really these people, when I think of my field work, one of the biggest reasons why I'm so excited to go back always is I get to see these ultimately lifelong friends of mine. And so, um, you know, those are some of the best stories I have of sharing in their families and sharing meals and sharing stories with them and learning about their lives. It's, uh, it's, it's just amazing. These folks are, are incredible. Are there any challenges to the work that you do or any challenges that you've had to face and overcome in your career? I mean, there are many. I think every scientist faces different kinds of challenges in their career. And, um, you know, certainly as a young scientist, you face a, a, a kind of shared set of challenges. Um, as a mid-career and as a senior scientist, it's different. Um, I think one of the things I, I would say about my own trajectory is that, you know, having four kids, <laughs> two of them pre-tenure and, and two of them post-tenure, is a relatively unique experience. I'm going to go out on a limb and, and say that. Um, and so I, I've learned a lot about the structural barriers in academia and in science more generally to people who, who want to have uh, that kind of uh, large and, and all-encompassing family life. Um, and. You know, mostly I've learned how important it is for those people to uh, have some kind of pay equity with their um, largely male peers. And so, you know, I'm really focused in, in part of my work at Georgia Tech to try to ensure that women, and not just scientists, but women all over campus, um, you know, are, are not just treated equitably, but supported in their life choices and encouraged to, uh, to, to find a way to keep fulfilled with their work and feel uh, that they have the level of connection and um, access that they want to have to their family whenever they need it. That's really fantastic that you've taken that life experience and brought it into a, a bigger sphere to help more people because it's so necessary that we have those changes occur. Do you have any specific advice for people in that situation?
I think one of the things I've learned is that uh, it's really, really important to build proactively a community for yourself before you, <laughs> you know, take that leap and bring somebody into this world and try to understand how you might be able to structure your work, structure your family life. Um, to think that it's going to be different for you, it's just going to create a heap of problems. And I think everybody goes into it thinking, oh, I, it's going to be better for me. I'm going to, I've got this. You don't have it. And you need to learn from the wise women who came before you <laughs> and, and don't go it alone. Um, they have lessons for you. They have support for you. They have 2EM phone calls <laughs> that they can receive from you. Uh, this is the biggest lesson that I wish wish I had the wisdom to uh, to enact before I brought somebody into the world but I would encourage women all over to recognize that while we look busy and, and you know engaged and like we have it all together uh, you know we have a long list of, of previous battles that we have fought just like them and it's very all the experiences they go through that are so challenging are very common experiences and we can learn to help uh, each other avoid those and minimize the damage of going through that which is uh, can be gut-wrenchingly uh, tiring and exhausting and depressing um, we have to we have to help each other out because uh, women have the, the lessons women have the answers here so science is undergoing some profound structural shifts right now it's obvious uh, science has become uh, you know, vehemently and virulently under attack from certain segments of the political establishment. Um, and we find ourselves at a crossroads of having to reflect on the failures of the scientific institutions of yesteryears and um, dream about what we want to build to be more effective stewards of the investments that the public has made in, in our institution and more informative stewards of policies that are coming out from the results and the studies and all the research body of evidence that we have accumulated. So we sit at that nexus right now and we are evolving extremely quickly. The only question is, do we really understand enough clearly enough about where we're going and where we'd like to go? Can we be proactive and not reactive? I would like to think very much that there's a role for women scientists in that conversation, in that envisioning, uh, grounded in equity, grounded in solutions, grounded in conversation and dialogue that uh, I would love to be a part of, I aspire to be a part of. Uh, I hope to bring as many of my students along as possible. Uh, so. It's an exciting time in science, but it's also one that uh, calls for pretty profound reflections on some of our feelings. So we can't have one without the other. People ask me if I have hope for climate change and are we gonna ever get out of this predicament? I say, oh, I know we will because these young people are gonna make sure it happens. And uh, they have their eyes on the prize, they are super savvy and they're brave and they have the moral courage. So I, I'm just very, very optimistic, in fact, from what I see of them right now, and it's so inspiring. Optimism is so key in so many respects. 
Climate change is a big one, and many of us can probably relate to another big one as we're probably holed up at home for the foreseeable future or recording in a closet. Uh, when talking about SciComm messaging with folks, I like to say that it's not helpful to tell people to recycle if you're preaching about the end of the world. Well, what's the point? So let's take a note from Kim and be hopeful, and I want to thank her for sharing her stories with us. Thanks also to Ali Wilkinson for conducting this interview. If you've liked what you've heard, stay tuned for even more episodes tucked in amongst your regular third pod episodes. From the scientist in a studio to all of you out there in the world, thanks for listening to our stories. I was never a kid who knew what he wanted to be. That doesn't make sense at all.